Thank you for joining us here at Celebration Church, where we celebrate God, celebrate people, and celebrate life. We hope you enjoy today's message. So I feel like the brief was to like, let's go and discover what favour is. And um, I feel like I need my three hours, which is normal for lecturing in Old Testament studies, you know. So are you ready? We're here for three hours. <laughs> it's kind of really where, um, I, I don't know, there is so much. So let's put our roller skates on kind of, and let's go through. And um, just I think that I will be hitting a lot of points. So just take what you feel God's giving you because there will be a fair bit of scripture and maybe it's overwhelming, but I hope at the end you will just get that God's heart is for you and he loves you right and that's his favor is for you so so don't get overwhelmed if it's too much but for some of you I know you're just going to love it and for others it just might be just get the heart of what I'm saying as well but I reckon you're all brainy enough you can come with me on the journey so I'm not not going to dumb it down let's just go for it hey (laughs) all right so our theme is isn't it favor ain't fair and so there's kind of a couple of words that we're tracing through the the Old Testament mainly because that's obviously my speciality and so these are if we go to the next slide these are the words in Hebrew so you got the guttural sounds going everyone so chen chanan and chesed do you want me to do it again chen chanan and chesed and so you can kind of see these two um sorry hen and hanan are kind of linked you can kind of see the 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 words together in there but hen is the the noun and just this idea of favor grace and it can even mean charm so when you say a a woman has got charm sometimes that's the word that the bible would use for favor there hanan is the the verb right to be gracious to show favor to show pity and remember favor in the kind of the the idea is it's always from a a greater person to the lesser. You don't usually ask for a favour from someone below you, right? I'm not going to ask my daughter to give me a favour because what's she going to do for me, you know? But I want to ask my boss for favour or I want to ask someone who has a big kind of wallet for favour, right? Or, you know, I want that promotion. So just remember, this is the concept, isn't it? Who can show favour? It's only someone that's greater. Than, um, than us, right? We can kind of, we, we say colloquially in Australia, oh, can you do me a favour? Could you go get me a coffee? You know, but that's probably not really the true meaning, is it? It's a favour you're asking, because that's kind of uh, tit for tat, isn't it? You get me a coffee, I'll get you one. But that's not really what we're talking about here. We're talking about someone, and in this case, we're talking about God, isn't it? Who has, you know, the multitude of everything. He owns everything. And he is the one that can bestow favour on us. The other word is this idea of chesed. And this, again, is this idea of loving kindness. And you see this in the Psalms. You hear it over and over again. God is one that shows us loving kindness. Or your translations may say steadfast love. And this is this idea of a covenant loyalty, an unbreakable loyalty. So like a marriage covenant, right? But this is a covenant with your God, that he will be loyal to you. He will be steadfast. He will hold up the covenant. And he is the God that shows us steadfast love and loving kindness and pours it out on us. So these are kind of the words I'm going to focus on. And then when you get into the New Testament, there's really one word, and that's charis, and it's the idea of grace. So favour, grace, then comes grace. in in the New Testament there. 
So how do we start to see it? So just to lay some groundwork again, some definitions. In the Proverbs, it's always talking, and I've just kind of put a few passages there if we go to the next slide. So in Proverbs 1, 7 to 9, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. And the Hebrew writing is just really concrete and it really kind of puts things in kind of just how it rough, I suppose, and how it says, like, so when they say someone's angry, literally it's saying in the Hebrew, he's blowing smoke from his nose. So this is the idea. So when we're talking about favour in the, the book of Proverbs, it's talking about wearing grace. You know, like, so it's a graceful garland for my head. And, you know, Joel helped me out with this, but it's not going to work, is it? So, but imagine this. It's a physical thing that you can kind of see is how the ancient Hebrews or the ancient Israelites are viewing this. Favour is not something you hide away. It's not kind of behind your pocket or anything, but it's a, it's a garland. It's your necklace. It's your, you're wearing it on your head. It's kind of visible uh, to us. So there's some other verses there. If we go on, we know that it's the Lord that gives the favour, isn't it? That's what we're talking about. And this, the verse that's come up a couple of times in this sermon series is Psalm 84.11. So the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give favour and glory. No good thing will he uphold from those who walk uprightly. And if I read Proverbs 8.32-35, it says, And now sons... Oh, uh, and now, O oh sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways, hear instruction and be wise, and do not neglect it, neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors, for whoever finds me finds life and obtains favour from the Lord. So if you're looking for wisdom, you're looking, it really is, means you're searching after instruction, you're searching after God, but in, in the book of Proverbs, it's all metaphored around searching out for lady wisdom. If you're looking for that, you're actually finding life because you're finding the tree of life back into Genesis and you're actually finding the favour of God. So it's all interwoven there. But we know the idea is that it's God that is giving favour. If we go, we see that... Um, so I'm just laying fr framework here and then we'll get into some passage. So sorry for being a bit theoretical, but then we go. The next one is we find favour in the eyes of Yahweh. So it's again this idea of can you see favour? You can see it, right? This idea of... And that's kind of how the Bible or the Old Testament is saying in the eyes of Yahweh, these characters have found favour. And we know that Noah found favour in the eyes of the Lord because Noah was a righteous man. He was blameless in his generation. He walked with God. And so he's epitomising, if you like, what wisdom is saying. Walk with wisdom, seek instruction, follow righteously after God. We see Noah does that. Samuel, the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and favour with the Lord and also with people. And that same refrain is said of Jesus, isn't it? That Jesus um, increased in wisdom and stature and favour with God and man. And even Mary, um, the angel of the Lord said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favour with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. So, and there's many, many more verses, but it's in the eyes of God these people have been found 
to walk with him doesn't mean that they're sinless, so don't get confused with that, but walking righteously is this idea of following your heart is tuned to God, and if you fall away, you come back, and if you fall away, you come back. It's this Because, you know, none of us can do it. We need Jesus to help us, and we know that in the New Testament now and the, the, the age of grace that we live in now. But these people were seen as people that had hearts that were following after God and living in the favour of God. And can you see it in the eyes of God, that literal, he can see it on you. So can I see it on you today? I hope so. I think so. All right. So let's jump into an actual passage because that's just what I do. I'm not very good at picking um, just bits and pieces, but jump into a passage. And do you remember the story of Moses and the golden calf? And so you remember... We've had the exodus, the people of ancient Israel have been delivered from Egypt with the most amazing miracles, isn't it? The miracles of the cross in the Red Sea and the Passover and God providing for them. They've been at Mount Sinai now for a little while and Moses has climbed up Mount Sinai and then the people are like, well, where's this bloke gone? You know, he's disappeared on us. Make a God for us is then what they say to Aaron. And so what do they do with the wealth that they got when they left ancient um, Egypt, which one am I, where did they leave? When they left Egypt, they built this golden calf and they laid down and they worshipped this calf. And so God interrupts Moses and says, you better go back down to the camp, you know, because he's up there receiving the Ten Commandments, he's receiving wisdom from God of how to lead the generation into the land. But these guys are down, worshipping this idol and are completely you know, ignoring who has just delivered them. So go back down and see what's going on. So it's in this kind of context that we see great sin, isn't it, and idolatry and abusing God of what he has just delivered them from. And then God is basically saying to Moses, I can't go with these people anymore. I'm just going to stand back. I'll send an angel with you and the angel will help you go into the land and wipe out the Perizzites and the Amorites and the Zites, you know. But... I'm not going with you. And Moses says in Exodus 33, he says to the Lord, <clears throat> see you say to me, bring up these people, but you have not let me, know, let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name and you have also found favour in my sight. So this whole idea that Moses knew that he had found favour in God's sight and he's saying to God, like, come on God, you, you have said that I've found favour in your sight. You have, I know you by name because remember God revealed Yahweh, I am who I am to Moses. Like I know now this personal name of you. Come on, let's go together kind of idea. <clears throat> but now therefore, and, and he's using this idea of favour. Sorry, the voice is going, isn't it? <laughs> Um, he's saying, now, therefore, if I've found favour in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favour in your sight. So this whole idea, again, finding favour, I need to know you to find favour, and it's just going back and forth, back and forth. Um, because consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, so God said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And he, so Moses, said to him, well, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favour in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people from every other people on the face of the earth? I'm just like, how will it got people know 
that we are distinct. How will people know? What's, what it characterises us as a people. And you can see just here Moses is, I need your favour, God. But more than that, enca- encapsulated in that is, is your presence. It's your presence, God. I'm not leaving here without your presence. I'm not leaving here without your favour because that is what makes me distinct. And that is what makes me who I am. And I think for some of us, maybe we just need to have a mind shift because maybe some of us, and I've been there, I'm not worthy. I'm not... You know, God, thank you for saving me, but that's kind of it. But no, there's more. There's a promised land and his presence is going to go with you and wants to go with you and he wants to make us and you distinct because his favour is on you. So shift your mindset. Hey, there's more. There's more than just salvation. Although, you know, you know how I'm saying salvation is amazing. It's everything. But there's more. And this is this whole idea here, isn't it? They've been saved from ancient uh, Egypt. They've stuffed up again. But come back, there's more. There's more favour. And that is what makes us distinct. And if we keep going into um, Exodus 33, uh, 17, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken I will do, for you have found favour in my sight, and I know you by name. So this whole wrestle that Moses had with God, like, I, you said I had favour. You said I know your name come with us and God relents in a sense he says I will now go with you my presence will go with you and then Moses kind of let's let's keep going let's ask for something more and he says please show me your glory because now when you have the favor of God you can ask because you have that direct access to God again you realize again who you are in God don't you and so you can ask God show me more I want more of you and in Moses's language it's please show me your glory And then God says, well, I will make my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord, so Yahweh, that I am that I am. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. So those words there, gracious, I will show favour. So grace, hear the word grace in there. I will be gracious. I will show favour to those who I show favour and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And so again, in, in that mercy, you're hearing the word has said, Um, also there. So grace and favour, favour and mercy, however you want to translate it, you've got these ideas. This is who God is saying, that I will be gracious and I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I shall put you in the cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. And then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but, not my, but my face shall not be seen. So there's this whole encounter that's going to happen with God and Moses standing on the rock and the idea is standing there on Mount Sinai. It's on the rock by God, so it's kind of this idea that it's up there with God on Mount Sinai, that God is going to have his goodness pass by. And and I think that's it, isn't it? For me to know the favour of God is for me to know who God is, to have his goodness pass by me, for have his name proclaimed to me, um, to know that he is the gracious one and the, the merciful one. I think I need that, we need that, don't we? And so this happens in a little bit, a couple of verses later, in Exodus 34, Moses chiselled out two stone tablets like the first ones because they, he, when he found out about the golden calf incident, he broke the Ten Commandments or the tablets, meaning a sign of ripping up the, the marriage contract, ripping up the covenant. Like That's literally kind of why they were broken first and why we need to get a second um, 
pair of tablets. <laughs> and so God uh, brings these, uh, they, they have new tablets here. And he went up the mount on the early morning. And then what we see is that the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. And it kind of goes on. When the the Ten Commandments were actually given and when it was talking about idolatry, it was talking about God being a jealous God. And now we see here that the jealousy is put later, like later down in the passage, and instead the emphasis now is on the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God. There are our words again, our, the gracious God, our word for favour is there again. Slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. So abounding in love, that's our word for hesed in there as well. So just see this idea of God as, even in this encounter, God's kind of shifted from the emphasis on jealousy to now he's compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in love. And again, just getting this revelation of who this God is that pours out favour on, on us. Um, and then, you know, we know that God goes with Moses, and then that Moses' face is shining. And I wonder if that's the favour you know, let me put that suddenly everyone can see the favour of God on Moses' face because his face is shining. Not only has he had an encounter with God, but when we're talking about this literal idea of seeing the favour of God on him, we see that Moses has um, just encountered God and is now marked by the favour of God. So let's jump into John. And John talks about Jesus, right? And it's really linking these passages together. And we know here that the word, so Jesus, becomes flesh and he dwells amongst us. That whole idea of he tabernacles with us. So that tent in the wilderness that we're kind of talking about here in, in the Exodus, this is identifying that Jesus dwelt with the people and now he dwells with us. And we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The God, this is Jesus now. He is full of grace and truth and he's positioning himself as what we just saw in that passage, I'm the God, slow to anger, abounding in love, full of grace. Jesus is saying that of himself. No wonder the Pharisees and everyone weren't wanting to kill him because he's positioning himself like Yahweh, as Yahweh. Um, so John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he comes after me, ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. Do you believe that today, church? we have received from his fullness, from the one that is greater, grace upon grace. And for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came from Jesus Christ. So imagine that scene there, Moses got the new tablets, his face was shining, he had a revelation of the God passing before him, but now we have Jesus. He is the fullness, he is even more than Moses, right? Greater, definitely greater than Moses, but greater than even that revelation. This is Jesus full of grace and truth. And that's why it says, no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, but he has made him known. Jesus, full of grace, full of truth. We have received grace upon grace. All right. Okay, change gears a little bit. Can we jump straight to Esther? 
So I wanted to kind of just again provide a bit of context. You're still with me or it's a bit hot? You're, you're okay? <laughs> All right. So do we know the context of Esther? We've got this young orphan girl in, in the middle of kind of an exile under a Babylonian rule and we've got this edict that the Jews are going to be wiped out and killed. And so she's in the um, harem or the harem of the king, maybe going to be called in, maybe not, we don't know. And then, but she's kind of there hiding her Jewish identity because there's this edict going out in the land that they're going to be killed. And isn't it interesting, in times of sin, in times of destruction, in times of unknown, the favour of God is revealed. I feel like that's interesting in the, all of these stories. And so if you read the book of Esther, and I won't go through it, even in her times of preparation and um, being in the harem and her 12 months of kind of beauty treatments, she actually receives favour. You can see the, the word favour, favour, favour in the eyes of the eunuch who was in charge and you can see that she becomes better than all the other girls and so there's lots of favour in there. But the context I kind of wanted to bring out was this idea that what does it mean of the greater to the lesser? kind of idea and, and you probably know all this but let's go through it again just to get the image in our head so Esther 4 verse 11 and this is where we we see what the context the brutality of entering into a king's court in these days and I suppose the context of all what does it mean to enter into the king's court and so we know that all the king's servants and the peoples of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death. Pretty simple, isn't it? Except for the one to, to whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that they may live. But as for me, I've not been called to come into the king these 30 days. So we have this idea that Esther is going to wants to, or Mordecai, her uncle, wants her to go petition the king to save her people, to save the Jews. But how, how can you enter in? How can we enter into the courts, right? How can she enter into the courts? I'm not being called. If I just even stand, and you can kind of see, hopefully, the picture, trying to find a picture. She's right in the outer courts. Even there, she'll be put to death if she's not being killed, if there's no sense of favour or no sense of um, come on in, Esther. But we see she prayed with her people for three days before going in and she donned her royal gowns and then she did enter into the courts. So on the third day, Esther put on her royal robe, stood in the inner court of the king's palace in front of the king's quarters while the king was sitting on his royal throne inside the throne room opposite the entrance to the palace. And when the king saw Queen Esther standing in court, she won favour in his sight and he held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. And then Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. And so that was that sign of, okay, I'm not going to kill you, it's grace. I, I kind of wanted to bring this story in because I wonder for some of us, is this how we think it is to approach God? That we think, so maybe just take out the Esther story but, and, and what the context is, but this whole idea of the king and the king's court and being put to death. I think some of us don't think we're worthy. Some of us, and look, honestly, we're not, unless the king extends his favour. But the king has extended his favour. And so you don't have to be timid. You don't have to kind of hold back. You don't have to, like, stand at the gates or sit in the back corner because no one will be, you know, God doesn't know who I am or won't accept me or I'll just pray little prayers. That's not what it's about, hey? The context is not Jesus has taken it all for us and he's extending that golden scepter to you regardless. If you come, 
it's there. <laughs> so I just kind of wanted us to maybe think that some of us, I felt, have been in a position where we, we just stand at the back and we don't think we're in. But you are in. You, you are in. You are wearing, even if we t- go back to the, it's the kingly analogy, you are the queen, the king, the son, and the daughter of God, right? We wear his favour because of what Jesus has done. So again, shift your mindset. Look, again, I know I've been there. I think, oh, that's for someone else. Or that's not for me. But God's extending that scepter to you today. And, and you know what? Esther's response, because she knew she was favoured, she actually was able to ask, you know, the king asked you, well, because you were able to have more than half the kingdom. But do you know what she asked for? Because at that point, I would go straight in and say, hey, don't kill my people. She asked for a banquet. She asks for like another meeting. And then actually after that one, she asks for another meeting. And I actually also thought about, I wonder if favour enables us to ask for the ridiculous. It seems ridiculous, but it gives us creative options. If I can go to the next slide, I think sometimes if you're not favoured, you just stay locked in. You're on the train track and you can only get to the Blue Mountains or Central only that way, right? You can't go around this way, you can't go, because that's sometimes unfavoured thinking. You're locked into a system, whereas it's open plains, people. You can go whichever way you want and God's got different ways for you to go because we are favoured and he's already extended the the scepter to you. So I think recognise that. Get out of your locked in thinking because you're not unworthy because of what Jesus has done. You're in the inner courts. And let's pull it in, last, last passages, um, prodigal son. Do you know the passage there? We've got the prodigal son, we've got the son that asked for his inheritance, uh, the younger son, and basically that means that the dad has to sell up to give the inheritance to the, to the younger son. And it basically is saying, in your face, dad, I really want you dead, is really what it's saying. But what we see is when this son returns, that the, the father runs to the son, doesn't he? So it says, um, so we find the son, you know, is off in a foreign land, slaving away, there's famine, he's not even eating anything, he's eating the slops of the pigs, and again, there's so much more we could talk about with that. But he says to himself, I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and, and before you, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, treat me as one of your hired servants. And maybe that's the Esther image. Treat me like I'm going to sit on the back. I'm, I'm one of your hired servants. I know that I'm probably saved, but I'm, I'm just going to sit there at the back and that's it. I'm not going to ask anything else of you, God. I'm, just, I'm happy to be in the kingdom and that's it. But what does the father do? He arose, oh, sorry, and he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion, ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring, uh, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this was my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. For an old man in this generation to run to his son, unheard of. You just don't do it in these cultures. You walk steadfastly because you're the man of the the house, you're the generation above. You just don't run. So for this guy to run and embrace his son and actually embrace his son in this honour, shame culture, because if he didn't run out and embrace his son, 
Somebody in the community of this small village would have seen this son and then would have shamed him and sent him away. But this father's looking. He's looking for this son and he's run in and he embraces him, right? And that whole idea of embracing, the kiss of forgiveness, the embrace that this is my son. We're not shaming, we're honouring this son, right? And so this is the image. It's not the Esther King image. This is who God is, right? Gracious, slow in anger, merciful, right? And so what does he do? So he ran and he braced and he kissed. And so this idea of protection, forgiveness and reconciliation is what the father is offering this son and offering us. He put this robe on him. And so again, if we're thinking literally of wearing favour, it would have been his best, it would have been the father's best robe. It just wouldn't have been a robe lying in the wardrobe. This was the father's robe. And it was the robe that he would wear at the big celebrations and the parties or whatever. So it was a special, special robe. But that's the robe that we think he put on the son. So imagine, that's you today, right? God is clothing you with the father's robe. The ring, right? A signet ring probably, the ring of authority. That's how they would have sealed documents and how they would have done financial transactions. So it's a sign of authority. It's a sign of uh, power there and authority and, and this whole idea that you now, you're back into the family and I'm giving you my ring. Sandals. Okay, servants wear no shoes. So if he's got sandals, he's now seen as a son. He's not seen as one of the workers, but he's brought again back in, so he's seen as a son, he's seen as one of the, the family. And the fattened calf, well, this whole idea of this, the fattened calf was, again, just saved for special events. It wasn't a regular, you know, OK, we're going to have um, beef for dinner tonight. Um, <laughs> I feel it. This is something that you fatten this calf up over and over and over, and then it's like, OK, this is a special event, the one-off kind of big marriage event or whatever it is, this whole idea of celebration. And when you have this fattened calf, it's not just for you and, you know, the four people at your table. This is for the village. You would invite everybody in. And so, again, it's a sign in this culture of acceptance. Don't you talk bad about my boy because he's now back. He was lost, but now he's found. So don't you shame him because he's now accepted. All right? And I, th I feel like this just ties so nicely into our theme of all the the images here that the favour is about protection. Favour is about God's provision. It's about his promotion. It's about his presence. Can you see how all these themes are weaving through? But don't be like the older brother, hey? Like last kind of thought. Because the older brother got resentful. And the older brother was like hearing the music about the party and I'll kind of just summarise the rest of Luke 15. He's hearing it and he's like, what's going on? And he has this, like, argument with his father, and he doesn't honour his father at all. He's, he doesn't call him father. There's a whole disrespect of the son arguing in front of all the guests as well. And but what does the father say to the older son? He says, look, these many years... Um, where am I? Sorry. Uh, so, well, let me talk, say what the son says. He says, look, these many years I have served you and I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, so son of yours, not brother, you know, so I'm sort of keeping myself separate. This son of yours came back, um, who devoured your property with prostitutes, killed the fat, you killed the fattened calf for him. But the father said, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate. So I wonder for some of us, if you, you know, you know that you are favoured by God, 
you know that God loves you, but maybe you're looking around at the other people around you and saying, but God's, you know, they're better, or God, why have you done that for them and not for me? I think let's check our hearts, hey? And let's put our eyes back to God and not on our brothers and sisters because the idea is that you are always with me. That's what God's saying to your heart today. And all that is mine is yours. So where do we want to end up? The four or the three positions, I wonder if this is where our heart is and maybe we'll get the music up and um, we'll kind of just, just assess where we've been. I know we've been a lot of places, but I thought the three ideas or the four ideas that we could land with is are you just humble and grateful are you like that younger son and today you need to recognize that the father is just he's running to you he is clothing you with his royal robe he's putting his ring back on you and he's saying what was lost is found and so that might be you today you know that you've been walked away from God and your heart is coming back today and you're just wanting to say Jesus I'm here and I accept all that you have for me that might be you today maybe you are that older and resistant child and you're looking at others and you're seeing the favor of God on others but not actually recognizing it's there for you because your eyes are actually in the wrong spot you're not looking at the gracious God the slater anger God you're actually looking your eyes are just they're focused on something else Maybe you're like the Esther image, you know, you're striving, you're trying to get into the court and you're kind of hovering there or you think you have to work for it. But let me again tell you today, God's extended his favour to you. And then I, I had another thought just as I was kind of thinking this morning. And I wonder if maybe you've been a Christian for a long time and you, you need to wrestle with Moses and just say, like with Moses, don't go, don't let me go without your presence. I need your presence. I've actually walked away a bit from your presence or I'm dry or, but like, I'm not leaving here. And maybe this is today. I'm not leaving here today, God, until you touch me again with your presence so that I actually shine, you know, shine like you, Jesus. So maybe we'll just take a few minutes to reflect and then I'll pray and we'll just... Um, yeah, we'll see wherever else we end up. <clears throat> so Jesus, for those brothers and sisters of mine who are coming home today, we just pray with them and say, welcome home. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are calling them and, Father, that you are here to embrace them. And so we ask today that they make a decision to turn to you and to accept your love, to accept the royal robe, to accept that signet ring, to accept the, that they are clothed and they are now children of God, they are sons and daughters of God. And we thank you that your spirit is here drawing them back home. For those of us that have got our eyes in the wrong spot, um, we've been that older brother and we've been jealous of our brothers and sisters or we're thinking that you've left us out um, other people have received the prophecies or the words or the favour or the promotion or whatever it is, Lord God. We, uh, we humble ourselves and we say, forgive us. And we want to give that resentment and that anger and that bitterness back to you. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that our eyes will come back to you knowing that you are the gracious Father, that you are slow to anger, that you are full of mercy and that you do have good things for us. And that you say that all that is yours is ours. And so we come into that understanding and alignment back with you. So break down those barriers that have crusted around our heart uh, because we have not looked to you. 
And for those of us that are, are Christians, but we still feel unworthy, we still feel shame, we still feel like the things that we have done uh, are holding us back. God, today we declare freedom. God, today we declare that they are the shame lifts off, the brokenheartedness lifts off, the whatever thing it is, if it's just the, the sin that they feel that is too overwhelming, that cannot be forgiven, we say no, that is untrue. The forgiveness is full and free and for everything and it covers all. And so we call again those brothers and sisters into the inner court where the gracious king is there and saying, come, come fully in. Don't stay on the sidelines, come in. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are moving in our hearts now. And for the rest of us, uh, maybe we're, we're like that Moses character and we're, we're just hungry. And we're saying, we will not leave here today without another touch of your presence. We know that you know us by name and we know you by name. And we know that we are favoured, but just re remind us, um, pour that out on us again, we pray today. In Jesus' name. We hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you would like to know more about our church, please go to celebrationchurch.com.au.